man named Lazarus, who lived in Bethany, became sick. Bethany was the town where Mary and her sister Martha lived. This Mary was the one who poured the perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. The sisters sent Jesus the message. Lord, your dear friend is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, The final result of this sickness will not be the death of Lazarus. This has happened in order to bring glory to God, and it will be the means by which the Son of God will receive glory. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he received the news that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Teacher, just a short time ago the people there wanted to stone you. And are you planning to go back? A day has twelve hours, doesn't it? So those who walk in broad daylight do not stumble, for they see the light of this world. But if they walk during the night, they stumble, because they have no light. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I will go and wake him up. If he is asleep, Lord, he will get well. Jesus meant that Lazarus had died, but they thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But for your sake... I am glad that I was not with him, so that you will believe. Let us go to him. Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us all go along with the teacher, so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been buried four days before. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Judeans had come to see Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. If you had been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask him for. Your brother will rise to life. I know that he will rise to life on the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. And those who live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After Martha said this, she went back and called her sister Mary privately. The teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and hurried out to meet him. Jesus had not yet arrived in the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The people who were in the house with Mary, comforting her, followed her when they saw her get up and hurry out. 
They thought that she was going to the grave to weep there. Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw how the people with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, and he was deeply moved. Have you buried him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. But some of them said, He gave sight to the blind man, didn't he? Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? Deeply moved once more, Jesus went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone placed at the entrance. Take the stone away. It would be a bad smell, Lord. He has been buried four days. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? took the stone away. Jesus looked up. I thank you, Father, that you listened to me. I know that you always listen to me. But I say this for the sake of the people here, so that they will believe that you sent me. After he had said this, he called out in a loud voice. Lazarus! Come out! and feet wrapped in grave clothes and with a cloth round his face. Untie him and let him go. Many of the people who had come to visit Mary saw what Jesus did and they believed in him.
I'm confident that the sound is going to come, and it has. Uh, thank you to the guys on the, the sound team and the, the projection and so on. Uh, we don't always see it or recognise it. And the problem with sound and vision is people always know when it goes wrong. They don't always notice that it goes well 98% of the time. So thank you, guys, for making it possible. Very conscious uh, as we come to uh, think about this passage. I, noticed, I don't know if you noticed, there are 45 verses in today's reading. Uh, and I reckon probably a full sermon preached on every verse, about 45 hours. Uh, however, you're in good, uh, you're, you're, you're fortunate today because Richard told me that this microphone is going to run out soon, uh, so I have to be quick. Uh, so I've abandoned the 45-hour sermon, and uh, we will uh, try something else. I'm very conscious, too, that we come uh, to reflect around God's Word. We come as ourselves. We come with all our experiences uh, of what we're going through. And for some of us, that may mean grappling with chronic illness, either our own or that of families and friends. It may mean grappling or, or living with uncertainty about decisions that need to be made in the future. Maybe that we look at the context of the world in which we live, the signing of Article 50, uh, the, the bombing that happened in London, uh, or not the bombing, the terrorist act that happened in London. Uh, and more than that, at the same time as that got headlines in Mosul, hundreds of people were killed. Uh, but that, you know, imagine how that must feel for the people who were there. Or today, the news of the Colombian uh, landslip, and again, many people dying in that. And we bring all these things that we see and hear and experience together with us into church and to grapple with God's word. So let's pray. Father, as we uh, bring our lives before you, uh, we offer to you all that we are, all that we experience, all the conflicted feelings, all the difficult things, all the joys, and we pray that you will meet us through those things and that you will speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've been thinking about this all week and wondering what of these 45 verses I ought to be bringing to you. And I thought we could have a theological treatise and exploration of how uh, John has placed this passage in a very, and this incident, a very key point in uh, his uh, gospel. And we could look back to uh, chapter 9 and the story of the man born blind and how Jesus was asking, answering the question, was this man sinned or somebody else? And uh, again, it was all about his glory, and in the end, he healed him, and it provoked um, discussion and opposition, and the people who were around uh, sought to stir up uh, opposition against Jesus and said, this man is mad. And uh, or we could look at chapter 10 just before it where Jesus talks about the good shepherd and how he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for others, uh, looking forward to his own offering of his life on the cross. And how through that talking about the good shepherd and how the, the, the sheep who belong to that fold recognize the shepherd's uh, voice, but those who are not don't recognize him and don't do that. And how these things spoke up this great opposition from the, the religious leaders at the time uh, who really did not want uh, Jesus to be seen and, and uh, at that point started to make plans to try and stone him and kill him at that point. Uh, but he slips away and they're unable to do it. And how those themes which come through of being spiritually blind 
uh, picked up in that passage where Jesus talks about, and if you notice it on there, uh, those who walk in the light don't stumble, but those who walk in the night do. Or uh, in, in the this, this sense where Jesus has already been talking about his death, now we come uh, to the story of Lazarus. And it's picked up because after uh, Jesus had, uh, uh, had spoken about the Good Shepherd, he'd had to flee to Jordan. And so there is this real sense of uh, life and death and what does it mean and how do we live and what's going to happen going on. Lots of uncertainty. And so we could uh, look at that kind of background uh, in doing it. And that's where I realised that I'm stumbling in the darkness because I've put my glasses in here somewhere and now I need them to look at the text. So I apologise for that. Bear with me. Or we could look, and, and maybe some of these things you might want to reflect on during the weeks that come ahead. We could think about the way in which uh, Jesus heard uh, a message that Lazarus was ill. And uh, instead of going straight away, he delays. Why did he delay? What was going on? Surely, in that context, if somebody close to you uh, is ill, you would get on your bike straight away. Or they didn't have a bike on your donkey straight away and go to be there. But I don't want to, to speak too much uh, about that. I thought too, I mean, you have this wonderful story of encouragement too, which we could reflect on, of Thomas. Thomas, who first of all says to Jesus, it's too dangerous to go. They're trying to kill you. Why would you go back? And then when Jesus says, no, we're going to go, he turns to the disciples and says to them, come on, guys. If he's going to go, let's go and die with him. What an amazing act of faith and discipleship and inspiration. And I love that. And I love the fact that yesterday I was at a church in uh, Bristol South uh, called the Martoma Church. And it's called the Martoma Church after this Thomas. And uh, this church, the Martoma Church, is an Indian church. And amazingly, they can date their, the history of their church unbroken back to the very... Uh, earliest parts, the middle of the first century. So within a very few years of Christ's uh, death on the cross and resurrection, there was a church that was started, and they have records that go all the way back, way beyond our own church. And they were having a service that was uh, mentioned there, and the belief that they have, and their tradition is that Thomas, uh, after the death of Jesus, was travelled and travelled to India, where he planted the gospel. So when the Victoria missionaries went to India, they found a church. They found a community that had been there and traced their lineage back uh, to Jesus. What an amazing story of this man who wanted to go and was willing to go and die with Jesus. Or maybe we could think about, uh, or you could think in the week that's coming, about Martha and how she came straight to Jesus when she heard he was coming. And that amazing testimony of faith where she saw him and even though her brother had died, she still said, I believe in the resurrection. And I know that one day when everybody rises, my brother will rise again. Or we could reflect on Mary's grief. How she was too overwhelmed with emotion and pain and suffering and loss to be able to even look for Jesus at that point until she just wasn't aware that he was coming until somebody pointed it out, and later on she went to meet him. 
And you know, all of these different emotions, the different desires from following Jesus, I don't mind, I'll go whatever happens, that urgency. The Martha who is very practical and, and she knows what, what's written and she knows and she's going and Mary full of grief uh, and those also opposition. Lots of different things that are going on. But what I want to leave you with is not all of that background. There's, there's so much that you can explore and think about, about how God is at work in this uh, uh, story of Lazarus, which is actually about a man who died and he's brought back to life. And it comes just before all the events leading up to Holy Week and the death of Jesus on the cross. And it's a reminder, it's a, a part of that teaching of saying that this death and resurrection is what it's all about. And the disciples don't know it yet, but what happens with Lazarus prefigures what will happen on the cross. But I want you just to stop for a moment today and just think about it. Think about all those people who are there. Lazarus has died. They are in the process of grieving. They've lost somebody that they loved. He's been in the tomb for four days. I don't know what time of year it was, but it was probably pretty hot. Not a good idea to open a tomb after four days when you don't have refrigeration. Lord, it's going to smell. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for Mary and Martha and the people around when that tombstone was rolled back and this figure walked out? Can you imagine what that must have done to your faith and to your life and to your understanding of who Jesus was? We can't. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And you know, what that must have done to see your brother who was dead alive to your faith, to your hope, you just can't even begin. It's just unbelievable. And yet we know that this, the disciples, the followers of Jesus who experienced that and experienced the resurrection went on, like Thomas and others, to do extraordinary things. And earlier this week, uh, a lady uh, shared with us a story uh, of a bit of her life, and I'm sure she won't mind me sharing it. She was describing how uh, nine years ago she uh, was at the baptism of her eldest child. And she, as she baptized and offered that child to God, she was doing it knowing that uh, in time she'd be letting that child go to live and, and develop. But what she didn't realize at that point was that each of her three children has a very profound disability. One that means that, in her words, she is going to be, they're going to be dependent on her for much, much longer than she ever imagined or expected. Now, I don't know, you know how we deal with and, and think about our own disappointments and our own griefs and our own losses and the impact that they have on us. And she read out these words which she spoke had meant such a great deal to her because they were given to her by a teacher, somebody who had uh, made a great deal of encouragement to her. And it's called the spirit of hope. And I think this passage is really about hope. 
It's about hope that even in the darkest moment, God can bring life. And uh, this is actually from uh, Imagine the Moment of the Cross, but it's a very similar kind of feeling, I think, that turning round and seeing resurrection, somebody coming out. And this is by Tom Smale, uh, who has, uh, is now with the Lord. He died in 2010, but he wrote this. When Mary Magdalene looked at the empty tomb, where all her hopes were lost, she wept. But when she turned round and at his word recognized the risen Jesus, her expectations became boundless and her extinguished hopes were reborn. When I heard those words, it kind of just grabbed me. And all this week I've been thinking about what I should share with you. And, and actually those were the only words that I felt the Lord saying I should share with you. So all the rest of my sermon you can disregard. That was all just building up to this, uh, these few words. That when she recognized Jesus, her expectations became boundless and her extinguished hopes were reborn. And you know, whatever situation we might be faced in our own personal lives, in our working environments, whether it be in just looking at the global world in which we go, because of that moment of resurrection, our expectations can become boundless. There is nothing in all creation, Paul says, that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He also says in Romans 8 that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your mortal body, how much more along with him will he give new life to your mortal bodies? And her extinguished hopes were reborn. And so if ever you've come to that place, whether it be illness or grief, or just life is too much, you're invited again and again to turn your face back to the risen Jesus, to find your extinguished hopes rekindled, reborn, and to find boundless possibilities and expectations. So as we go through these last few weeks to Easter, reflect on that amazing, amazing thing that Jesus has done and continues to do and be full of hope and joy wherever you may find yourself and offer words of encouragement to those that you meet. Amen.